Uh, good morning, church. Uh, how many of you believe that there's no name on earth that is more powerful than the name of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. Amen. The scripture tells us very plainly that uh, uh, it's his name and no other name will we receive salvation uh, from God. And so we trust him. We celebrate him. And it's awesome to be uh, with his church, his family, as we um, submit to his lordship in our lives. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, be our text here this morning. And as you're doing that, just kind of a follow-up, a couple weeks ago, I had mentioned that we are upgrading our sound and, and audio system so that uh, we could uh, provide a little bit better production for our online as well to take care of some things in here. And excited to say that uh, Burroughs is supposed to start tomorrow installing that. And that should be done within the week. So even this time next week, we'll be able to worship uh, we'll probably have some glitches as we work some things out, but uh, I know those online had wondered why we can't superimpose some of the lyrics over the songs and do some of those things. Well, when we upgrade everything, we'll be able to do that. And so uh, we'll be able to uh, just make that a seamless worship experience. Not that we want people to stay home. We want you to come and be a part of this, but uh, under these circumstances, we understand uh, people are being very cautious, and so, uh, but we are upgrading, and, and we're looking forward to that this week, and so um, just kind of be mindful of that, praying over that process, pray for Charles and his tech team as they are going to have to learn, probably do some study and homework they haven't done since school, but uh, going to have to learn the new system, and, and they're going to do a great job, and we appreciate the hard work that they put in. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 10. Today, we conclude this series of the new normal. And the whole point of this series was to just kind of help us navigate what's going on in our culture and some of the changes that are happening around us and really some of the changes that now have affected our life and how we have to adjust uh, our lifestyle uh, to what's going on in the world. And I mentioned from the very beginning that we want to turn to God's Word and then trust in Him to help us to adjust not only for our own fears and anxieties that creep up during change, but that we can be that light to others, especially those who don't know Christ, whether it be some of your coworkers or neighbors, and they have a fear and anxiety that they should see godly people and see that we're at peace. We're calm. We have concerns that this is affecting our lives, and we don't want to hide from that reality, but the reality also is that we are brothers and sisters, that we are sons and daughters of Christ and that we trust him and we're rooted in his word and his word is an anchor for our soul. And so that's what this series has been about. And if you're visiting or have caught uh, us in the middle of the series and haven't heard all the messages, I encourage you to go on Facebook or YouTube and, and watch the earlier sermons to, to catch up with that. But today we're kind of wrapping that up. And today's message title is just simply Define the Moment. Now, there was a movie back in 1996 starring Kevin Costner, and the movie was called Tin Cup. And Costner played uh, a character by the name of Roy McAvoy. And he was kind of a drunken <laughs> golf pro who was down on his luck. He had all the talent in the world, but he made a lot of bad decisions, both in his life and in his game, that prevented him uh, from being a golf pro. So not always the best character to emulate, but I remember particularly one scene, I don't remember a whole lot about the movie, to be honest with you, but I remember one scene that really stood out, and particularly a line that stood out. And this is when McAvoy, the Kevin Costner character, is talking to his caddy. And his caddy challenged him about a time that he was playing in the qualifying tournament to get his tour card. And he had a, an impossible shot. 
And had he just laid up and take the safe shot, that he probably would have made the score to, to get his tour card. But instead, he took the impossible shot. And, and the caddy asked him, why did you do that? And he said this. He said, it was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you either define the moment or the moment defines you. And that's always stuck in my head, that the, the moments happen in our lives. They're defining moments. And sometimes you recognize them and sometimes you don't, but they're important moments. And what you do in that moment is going to not only change the trajectory of your life, but it's going to define who you are as a person. Some of those moments may come from, from a major challenge in your life. Maybe you have a certain goal or dream and there's something that's standing in your way and you have to decide, how am I going to address this obstacle? It may come from a major mistake. You may have made some poor decisions in your own life, maybe gotten some legal trouble in the past or maybe even a moral failure and you have to decide, how do I overcome? What do I do? Does this define me? Or is this just part of who I am? It could be a major setback. That's just when life throws you curveballs and there's just nothing you can do. Financial issues, family issues, and it's out of your control. It, it could be a crisis of faith. It could be one of those moments where you know God is calling you to do something, calling you to ministry, calling you to respond, and, and it, it just doesn't jive with what you had planned with your life or your own personal will, and, and you have to make a choice. See, there's always these moments in our lives where we have to make tough decisions. And we face difficult changes in our life, but I love change because it does present a choice every time. Are we going to step up? Are we going to step back? <laughs> are we going to stand still and let the moment just run us over? Those are usually the choices that we face. And we talk about change, and throughout this, this series, we've been talking about some of the changes going on in, in a negative light, because a lot of it has been forced upon us, and we don't really like it, and it's uh, disrupting the world that we were comfortable with and used to. But the truth of the matter is, some change is positive. Some change is good. In fact, I bet there's some people right here this morning, hearing this message, who is looking forward to some change, who's been praying for some change to happen in their life. Maybe uh, you just feel stuck in the current pattern of your life and it's just draining the joy right out of you. Maybe you're single and you desperately want to be married, desperately want to find that special someone to share your life with. Maybe you're overworked and underappreciated at your company and you just need to be refreshed and feel valued. Maybe you're uh, absolutely uh, feeling left out, alone and depressed. You need to know that somebody cares and, and to find a community of people that support you. Maybe even spiritually speaking, your faith is fading. You're praying, praying, praying. God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And you're just like, God, I need a change. I, I need to see you. I need a breakthrough to happen in our lives. I love that we see that song. I believe a breakthrough is coming. I hope you believe that because God is working. He does not abandon his people. He does not leave us in our ruts. He's working with us. He's providing a way out. And maybe this morning that's what you're saying. I, I came looking for that. So the question is, how does change like that happen? Well, here to tell you that God can bring about that change. But oftentimes, God encourages us 
to initiate that change and be part of the positive change in our lives. You know, a lot of change that we experience is well beyond our control, and there's nothing we can do to, to stop it. There's nothing we can do to resist it. We just have to go along with it and adjust. But there is some change that we have control over. There's some things in our life that, that we have the power to work out. It's interesting, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, right there, you read that verse, say, okay, Paul, which is it? You want me to work out my salvation, but you're saying God's at work in me. Who does the work, Paul? And Paul would say, yes, <laughs> both. Part of our spiritual development is a partnership with God. God is at work in us, but that work also implies that there is some action or reaction that we must do. We have a responsibility in this process. God doesn't want just those who claim faith. He wants us to be men and women who actually exercise our faith and put it into practice. In fact, I see a great example of that in our text here at the end of Mark chapter 10. Uh, let's start there, verse 46. It, it says this, uh, they came to Jericho, and this is Jesus and his disciples. They came to Jericho as Jesus' and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of uh, Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So get the scene. Here you've got this man who's blind. We don't know if he was born blind. This is a condition he had all of his life. But he was at the main gate of the city, which where beggars go, because that's usually the most foot traffic. They're begging for his daily bread. He was relying on the generosity of others just, just to eat just to survive, and, and that was his life. And you can imagine as people walked by and ignored his, his cries and, and how he must have felt left out and felt like an outcast. But that's what he does. And, and already, just from these two verses, there's a couple things that, that we can, uh, uh, lessons that we can learn that will apply to our lives as we talk about initiating change or defining a moment, because this was a defining moment for Bartimaeus. The first one we see is that we must be willing to initiate change. We must be willing to initiate the change that we desire in our lives. As Bartimaeus sat in his spot, this large crowd passes by. This probably excited him. You hear more, more voices and, and more of a commotion. You think there's more people. There's greater odds that he's going to get something in return. And so he probably perked up. And then he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was in the crowd. Now, news of Jesus' teaching his reputation, certainly of the miracles that he performed, had spread all across the region. And so even this blind man had heard of Jesus. And so when Jesus was near, Bartimaeus' priorities changed. It went from trying to get some food or some money for the day to get him through to all of a sudden complete freedom 
and to be healed from his blindness and to see his life radically changed. No longer would he be a burden to society. No longer would he be an outcast dependent upon everyone else. And so this was his moment. How would he react? The scripture says that he cried out for Jesus. He didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. He didn't wait for Jesus to initiate the conversation. Jesus to see, oh, you're blind. Hey, I'm the son of God. I I can fix that for you if you'd like. Bartimaeus began to cry out. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't notice him. Doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care about him. In fact, I believe he wanted Bartimaeus to seek him. He wanted to see if Bartimaeus was willing to exercise his own faith. But it also makes you wonder, as Jesus traveled around in his day, we have some record of some of the miracles he he did, and I'm sure he did many more. But I wonder how many blind people, how many lame people, how many lepers, how many those who were sick and needed healing, did Jesus walk by and, and there was never an encounter, there was never an interaction because the person never spoke up. Person never called out for God's healing hand in his life. You see, God wants us at times to take the initiative, and I even wonder sometimes in our own life how many of us are so close to experiencing the blessing of God, how how there's just moments that God puts right in front of us, or we're right near to, to his healing power, to his miracles that can be displayed in our lives, and we never pray. We never ask. We never seek. We say, well, if God wants to do something in my life, he'll do it. If he doesn't, I guess it just wasn't his will. Oh, well, I'll go on with my life. How many of us miss out on God doing something credible in our lives because we're unwilling to take a step, unwilling to act? Sure, we may pray. You may pray a couple times, but you don't get the immediate response, and so you decide, well, this is not really worth it. And prayer is powerful. I think prayer is our first step. I'm not putting that down. But I think prayer also means that, that through prayer, God begins to show us what we can do. And prayer is not just the only thing that we do. I mean, if you're having financial struggles, I get it. You need to pray and take those before the Lord. But what you also need to do is look at your budget and say, am I being a good steward with what God has entrusted me? Am I following his principles in my finances? Same thing with relationship issues. You can pray that, that God will bless uh, your marriage and then maybe it's grown cold and, and pray for God to renew passion and vitality in the relationship. But as you're praying, you can also become the spouse that you want your spouse to be. You yourself can be more attentive to their needs. You yourself can be more patient, more forgiving, more kind and tenderhearted to them. And it's interesting that when we start doing what we're called to do, how God uses that to bring about the change that we desire in our life. So often Christians are frustrated because we're waiting for God to move. In reality, God's saying, no, I'm waiting for you to move. I'm waiting for you to step out in faith. I'm waiting for you to show that you believe in me and, and I will bless. The second lesson we see from these verses is that we shouldn't wait for the circumstances to be perfect. Don't wait for perfect circumstances. There's a large crowd following Jesus. Bartimaeus is blind. He doesn't know which one is Jesus and where exactly he is in the crowd. 
I'm sure the, the crowd was having conversations and laughing and talking, and, and there's a great noise that you would assume would come with this crowd that's following Jesus. And so the ideal situation would have been Jesus by himself, would have been if Bartimaeus could got Jesus alone and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That would have been a lot easier. And I do want to challenge our Christian notion that easy equals godly. Oftentimes, that, that's what we think. If something's super easy, then God must be in it. And I've heard a lot of people give testimony about praying for something, praying for a new job. And all of a sudden, the next day, they get this incredible job offer. That, that's a, a better job, a, a higher position, more salary, greater benefits. It causes them to move, and, and so they put their house on the market, and within hours, they, they, they get a full offer on their house, and, and they go to the other place, find the perfect house, and everything just falls into place. And, and we're all like, wow, yeah, God was in that. And I've experienced those times, those times where God just makes it easy. And I pray to God, I say, God, you know, I'm slow, but I'm not stupid. I get, this is your will, let's do it. But then there's other times, and I actually would argue that in my life, more often than not, when God has called me to something and I started to go down that path, it was anything but easy. It was hard. And doors were shut. And people told me no. And opportunities were beyond my grasp. And, and there were times where I began to wrestle with God saying, God, are you sure? <laughs> did, did I mishear you? This is where you want me to go? Yes, this is where I want you to go. Then why don't you make it easier? <laughs> God, show me that you're in this. He says, I'm in it. Just keep going. And it's difficult. And how many Christians say, well, if it's not easy, I quit. See, we got to get past this notion that God only works in easy. Because when you look through Scripture and you look through the men and women that God called to use part of his redemptive plan, they went through a lot of difficulties. They had a lot of trials. A lot of them sacrificed their self, their re reputation, their own health, their families some of them even their life, to fulfill the ministry that God has given. God's not about easy. God's about faith. And faith is consistent in easy and in difficult. If Bartimaeus wanted to wait for things to be convenient, for things to be easy, he would have missed his opportunity. See, if you look at the... the chronology of what's going on here. Jesus is leaving Jericho and he's going to Jerusalem for the last time. This is going to be the Passion Week that led up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus wasn't coming back to Jericho. He wasn't coming back this way. And so this was the window of opportunity. And you understand why they call them windows? Because windows are open, but they also can be shut. So for Bartimaeus, it was now or never. How many windows of opportunity have we missed in our life because things just weren't easy? How many times have we thought, uh, I'm going to wait till, till life is more settled? You know, I, I'm going to be part of ministry, but, but I've got to wait until things die down at work. I've heard parents say, you know, I, I, I want to be more involved in my kid's life, but boy, we've got so many projects, and I'm working for this promotion. Once I get there, then I'll be more attentive to my family at home, or I'll be more involved at church. Or, you know, if I pay off this debt, then I'll start giving, I'll start tithing. See, whatever it is that we feel that God's calling us to do, we can always think of another time with good intentions, but say, God, you just wait, because that's the window. That's when it's going to be convenient. That's when it's going to be easy. And guess what? Those times never come. 
That project you're working on now, as soon as you complete it, another one will come up. The financial problems you have now, you know, more will, are on the way. God says, trust me now. Invest in your family now. Invest in your marriage now. Serve the church now. And trust that I'll take care of everything else. See, we've got to get it out of our heads that somehow God works on our time. We work on his. When God knocks, that's when we answer. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later. And we can't decide to wait for everything to be easy and convenient. If we do, we miss out on his blessings in our life. So we have Bartimaeus, who, who hears the crowd, and, and they're loud, so he begins to shout louder and louder to get his voice heard over the crowd. The third lesson we see is, is that we shouldn't listen to everyone else around us. As he begins to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 48. It says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is the crowd that turns around. They see this blind beggar yelling for Jesus, and they tell him, hey, shut up. Quit bothering. You know who this is? He doesn't have time for you. Be quiet. Now, keep in mind, this crowd is made up of the disciples. This crowd is made up of followers of Jesus. This is the religious community telling this blind beggar, be quiet. God doesn't have time for you. That was their reaction. And this is not unlike what happened earlier in this chapter in verse 13. When Jesus is there and, and parents were coming, they're bringing their, their small children to Jesus and they were sitting it on his lap and, and wanted his blessings on them. And you remember the response of the disciples? Uh, they rebuked the parents. Said, said, Keep your kids. Jesus doesn't have time for this. He doesn't want kids crawling all over him. And Jesus stopped and even rebuked his disciples and said, no, don't hinder the children from coming to me because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, you'd think the disciples would learn that we serve a Savior that has his arms open, that welcomes all people, but they didn't. They told Bartimaeus to, to be quiet, and yet he persisted to shout. Sometimes you have to be careful who you listen to. And that doesn't mean don't seek out godly counseling and, and Christian friends that you trust. But I'm here to tell you that even people with good intentions can give you the wrong advice. I remember several years ago, we were preaching there in Indiana. We were growing in the church, and particularly in our children's department, and got to the point where we had so many kids coming uh, that we had to actually suspend adult Sunday school because we needed those rooms for the kids. And so we, we had no adult Sunday school for a couple years, and our kids were filling up those rooms, and it got to the point where we had no more room, and we had to make a decision. So the elders, we got together and leadership and prayed and felt like God was calling us to build. And so uh, we made the plans and went through the architect and all those things and, and we're ready to build. And this was right in 2008 when the housing bubble burst. Some of you can remember, maybe you were affected by that. The economy tanked. People were losing jobs. People were losing their homes. I mean, it was a scary financial situation. And we got together as, a, as an eldership and said, well, what do we do? <laughs> do we want to put this on hold? I remember as a pastor thinking, hey, I don't want to be the captain of the Titanic here. <laughs> uh, if we see the iceberg, maybe we should turn. And we prayed about it and said, no, this is what God's calling us to do. And I was having lunch with a, a pastor friend of mine in a larger church, and they were actually had plans to build as well. 
And he said, boy, we've decided to put everything on hold. We're not going to go forward with that. And I kind of sheepishly said, uh, we are. We're going to build a $2 million project. We're going to step out in faith and do it. He said, boy, I wouldn't do it if I was you. And he didn't mean anything wrong with that. In fact, that was a good, honest, objective financial statement and advice. It really was. And we had other people in the church say, eh, this is not the right time. But as a leadership, we felt like it was. And so we stepped out on faith. And we built. You know what? God began to fill that building. We had more kids come and more families come. And the, the impact and the influence of the church ministry began to grow even larger than we'd ever anticipated. Now, I'll tell you this. I remember the year or two after we built, walking into staff meeting and saying, hey, spending freeze. Budget's tight. Don't spend it unless you have it, unless you have it in your pocket, in your wallet, okay? I mean, it was hard. Let's go back to this idea. God didn't just open it up and all of a sudden giving came and we never had a hard time. We never sweated out uh, paying bills. That's not true. But God worked everything out and he tested our faith and we proved ourselves faithful. And because of that, he honored and blessed. And my point is this. When you step out in faith, when you start, God, I'm going to move forward and do something for you. And I'm going to move beyond what I'm used to. You're going to have people come around you going, that's a bad idea. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I would just hold on tight and wait. And it may be people here in the church. Maybe trusted godly friends who just don't hear the voice of God or know what he's saying to you. And I want to be very careful because that could be easily manipulated for our own will. But I would say that sometimes when we step out in faith, that there are going to be critics. And that we have to just simply learn to hear the voice of God to guide us through the storms and through the uncertainty so that we may be about his will. See, Bartimaeus, verse 48, said, He shouted all the more. When the critics told him to be quiet, he said, "Uh Uh-uh, this is my shot. And he started yelling louder and louder. So be persistent in your pursuit of God. Lesson number four, leave behind the things that tie you to your old life. We talk about making positive change. You need to leave behind the things that tie you to your old life. Jesus continued to, I'm sorry, Bartimaeus continued to call for Jesus' help. And Jesus responds. Look at verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped. How cool is that? He's hollering. Of course, Bartimaeus can't see that. But he's hollering. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. So they called the blind man. They said, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Now see how quickly the crowd turns. The verse before, they were saying, shut up. And now because Jesus stops and says, call him here, they say, oh, cheer up. Good for you. I find people very finicky that way. But, but let's keep going on. It, it says that, that he, throwing, off his clo- or throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, I, I get that I don't want to make too much of this verse, but I think there's a significance that's happening here. You see a beggar uh, sits in the street, usually sitting down, legs crossed, whatever, and they usually have an old cloak, kind of worn and tattered, something that, that, that you would assume belongs to a, a beggar. And they would lay it either on their lap or in front of them. And when people would make donations, whether it be food or coin, uh, they'd come by and they'd put it there. Kind of like a street performer that has his guitar case open. You know, and you go and throw a couple dollars in the case. So he's got this cloak. This is his means of catching whatever it is that, that people would give him. 
And it says that when Jesus called him, that he pushed it aside, he threw it aside. Now, it could be something as simple as it was in his way and he's scrambling to get on his feet and he just knocked it aside. Maybe. But I think it also could be something with a deeper significance, that that cloak, it was necessary for a beggar. And by tossing it aside, Bartimaeus was tossing aside being a beggar. Tossing aside being blind. Tossing aside this old life because he knew that Jesus had the power to give him a brand new life. You see, when the Apostle Paul talks about conversion, especially in Colossians chapter 3, he talks about throwing off the old self and putting on the new self. And you look in the Greek, and that, that's kind of language for a cloak or a garment. That, that when we come to Christ, that old self is the sinful nature, the things that, that tie us to this world, that tie us uh, to rebellion against God and, and we put on this new self. That's the godly nature. That's the holiness of Christ that we learn to walk in him. And so we see this imagery again of throwing off the things that are old, throwing off the things of this world that would hold us back from experiencing the fruitful life that God has created for us. The fruitful life that Jesus promises for those who follow him. Barmaze threw that off. And even today, we talk about, I want some change in my life. Great. And you need to initiate that change. And some of that initiation means to make some positive steps forward in your life. Some of that initiation means to let go of some things in this world that are holding you back. I mean, what ties you to the sinful nature? What are some of the habits? What are some of the ideas? What are some of the uh, attitudes that keep you from really experiencing newness and, and divine change in your life. Too many times we want to hold on to the past that we never are able to get the future that God has designed for us. I mean, even imagine now, in this time of the, the pandemic, imagine the churches who still refused to, to go online. <laughs> Said, oh, we're, we're just not going to mess with that technology. We're going to ride this out. And the opportunities they're missing out for their people to experience worship, but also for new people to reach and connect with those who need the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we're moving forward in a positive way. It's really easy to say, well, but we never needed it in the past. No, none of us did. We didn't know we needed it. Now we need it. We can't be held back to the things long ago. I think so many times there's so many of us that allow our past to hold us back. Maybe you're worried about some of the guilt or, or some of the problems in your past, and you think that somehow disqualifies you for what God can do? Not true. Uh, maybe there's some, some anger, some grudges, some things that, that, that uh, uh, you just need to learn to let go of. Maybe you grew up in a tough family and still have some, some issues with your parents, or, or maybe had a bad experience at a church, and, and you just got to deal with that and move on. You know, maybe it's even within a, a personal thing, a habitual sin that you, you know that you've got to get rid of, but you refuse to, to confess it, repent it from it, and give it over to God. And that sin holds you back from experiencing newness. You know, there's some things that we just have to cut ties with, things in our personal lives that hold us back. I, I even wonder as a church, what are the things that hold us back? Do we have any traditions, any sacred cows? that are keeping us from doing what God wants to do within this church? Jesus said very plainly, 
that you don't put new wine in old wine skins. And my prayer is always, God, I don't want to be an old wine skin. I have a certain way I like to do things. I'm a creature of habit. We all are. But God, if you're going to do something new in my life personally, if you're going to do something new through me and ministry, then, then I need to be new. Every day, what changes need to be made? What do I need to lay out? What do I need to cut off from my life so that you can do something incredible in me so that you can affect the world in a different way? You know, one of the hardest parts about change is cutting ties with the old, but it's necessary in order to experience and embrace the new. Last lesson that we see here in this example of Bartimaeus is simply don't stop following Jesus. Don't stop following him. Look at the end of the story. Verse 51, Jesus speaking, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Seems like a weird question, doesn't it? Blind guy stands before him and he says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, the man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, again, Jesus asked, and I, I think this asking wasn't taunting Bartimaeus. I think he was trying to see what did Bartimaeus really believe about Jesus? What do you think I can do for you? And Bartimaeus said, I know you can heal me. I mean, this is a big ask. But this, this is something that he was convinced because he heard testimony, and he wanted to experience it himself. You see, what we ask for is an indicator of what we believe about God. Get that. When you pray, your prayers are a measuring stick of what you really believe or the level of your faith in God. If you just pray for simple things, pray for God to give you blessings, convenience, make life easier, improve my health, improve my job, you know, all my relationships, make them, you know, uh, healthy and strong, then, then maybe God will give you that. But I'm telling you, God wants to show you so much more. Do I believe I have a God that can heal cancer? Do I believe I have a God that can, can get me a new or better job? Do I believe I have a God that can revive a dead marriage or change the heart of a rebellious son or bring a wayward person, that prodigal that, that has turned to a life completely against God? Do I believe that, that the message of Jesus Christ can still change their heart, that they will come back into a relationship with him. Do I believe God has a power to do the things that I cannot do? If you do, your prayers will reflect it. If you do, those are the things you're going to ask God. I've always heard that the saying that if God answered every one of your prayers, how would it change the world? And for many of us, it would change our life, change the life of our loved ones. But we're not praying world-changing prayers. We need to change that. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, I, I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you heal. Isn't that interesting? Your faith has healed you. Wait a minute, I thought it was the power of God. Yes, it was a partnership. God's power combined with his faith gave him sight. But notice here at the end, it says, immediately he received his sight. What would you have done in that moment? God answered this prayer. You've had this miracle in your life. You think you'd just run into town and just tell everybody. Get your family, get your friends, just share testimony of what God has done for me. I was blind, but now I see. That's an incredible testimony. But it says that immediately when he received his sight, he followed Jesus along the road. Now, he didn't just walk away from 
the spot where he begged. He didn't just walk away from his home, from his old life. He followed Christ. And, and I would even argue that it was more than he just followed Christ to the next town. I, I believe there's evidence here in Scripture that Bartimaeus was a Christ follower and even became part of the early church. We know this, or I speculate this, because Mark decided to use his name, Bartimaeus. It's almost implying, because there's a lot of people that were healed that we don't see their name, and it's implying that maybe the, the readers of this in the early church would know who he is. Oh, Bartimaeus, I know him. That's his story? He was the blind guy? Jesus healed him? See, he followed Jesus. He didn't turn back. How often do we pray, 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 and then God blesses our lives, gives us what we want, and then we're like, thank you, and we go right back to our old life. You know, we make, I, I don't know how many times I've been in the hospital room and people say, God, if you just bring healing in my life or someone else's life, and when I get out of here, I'll be in church, I'll never miss a Sunday, I'll be the biggest uh, uh, advocate and witness for you and your power, and, and God does it, and next week I'm thinking they're going to walk in and, and it's going to be a celebration, and it's like, oh, didn't see him. Next Sunday, didn't see him. Third Sunday, didn't see him. I call him up, how you doing? Oh, yeah, well, I'm feeling better, so we, we decided to go to the lake this weekend. You know, we decided to go see family. It's funny how we're desperate for God to bless our lives, and we get that blessing, we immediately run back, and we forget the one who blessed us. Bartimaeus didn't. He followed Jesus. And I want to tell you this. We're praying for breakthroughs. We're praying for positive change in our lives. When you get them, God's not just giving them to bless your life, even though as a parent he wants to bless you. He's also doing this so that we can experience him in greater ways and that we will draw closer to him. That's the point, is to partner with him and have this life-saving relationship. So what about you this morning? What are some of the changes that you long for in your life? Things that you're praying for, asking God to move in your life. Then the next question is just simply, what can you do to initiate that change? What is God saying to you that you can take the steps that help bring about those changes in your life? Understand that God wants to partner with you. It's not just on him. He does the work, but he wants to partner with you. So that means that you and I, we have to play our part. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that truth. I thank you, Father, for your miraculous power. And to know that in all things, Father, that, that, that you are that God and every good and perfect gift is from you. But I also appreciate, Father, that, that you're kind and compassionate and that you allow me to come into your work and that you want to see faith and you want us to exercise the trust that we have. Father, I pray right now for anyone that's struggling. Right now, whatever it is, Father, it's a financial issue, if it's a relationship issue, if it's just self-esteem issue, Father, maybe it's a spiritual issue. Father, we sang about breakthroughs are coming. I pray you stir in the spirit that we can see those and to know that you are the God of the promise and that by faith we will hold on and we will continue to follow you no matter what till we see this incredible change and newness brought into our lives. Lord, create within us a new normal, a normal that leaves behind sin and the old nature and a normal that, that walks in righteousness and, and faith in you. 
Father, we thank you for that and all that you give us in your son's holy name. Amen.